Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminists Natasha Stott-Despoja and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022 and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Emma Gray is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She's been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14, and is the author of the YA novels Unrequited and Tilly Maguire in the Royal Wedding Mess, as well as I Don't Have Time, co-authored with Audrey Thomas, and the parenting memoir Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mum. She wrote her first adult novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It's a fictional tribute to their love, an attempt to articulate the magnitude of her loss, and a life-affirming commitment to hope. Emma lives just outside Canberra, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, young son, loved stepchildren and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australis. Rachel S. Morgan is an award-winning fiction writer, screenwriter, and emerging television showrunner. A former entertainment journalist and recipient of the Josephine Ulrich Literature Prize, her previous film and television credits include Wanted, Mako Mermaids, and The Bachelor. Rachel writes a lot of things, but has a particular penchant for drama that makes you laugh, comedy that stabs you in the feels, stuff that is high camp and scary AF, and historical fiction. If there's magic, pop stars, or vampires in the mix, all the better. She's soon to release the first book in a brand new rom-com mystery series through Daring Press and is currently developing a diverse film and television slate that includes her new dark comedy TV show, Disgraceful. Disgraceful is also her current novel work in progress because she doesn't think she has enough things on her plate. Rachel likes yoga, tattoos, and cheese, but not in that order. Mostly, the cheese comes first. Essentially, what I'd wanted to talk about was... Life can be really hard, whether you're a writer or not a writer. When you're a writer, oftentimes we can think, that's great, right? That's content. (laughs) There's something for me to talk about. However, there are a lot of conversations I've had with writers, and I thought the three of you in particular, because I can identify for each of you times when you have been going through the shiz 
And how do you hold on to that creative spark? And what do you do with that creative spark? Now, maybe you have multiple projects, I don't know, but I would love to hear from each of you about how do you continue to fan the flame of your creative life, even as it feels like other parts of your life may have exploded or really chaotic, even if it's not directly with you, you feel the reverberations. It's interesting question, Ange, because when you express that as how do we hold on to the creative spark, what came to me was that it's the creativity that helps me hold on to life. Mm. <laughs> so when things get really, really hard, you know, and you're in the midst of terrible grief and loss and trauma and just all kinds of things are piled in on top of you, as, as I know we've all experienced, I actually don't know how I would get through any of that stuff without the ability to escape, whether it's into a fictional world of writing or into photography, which I love as well, into a musical that I work on, you know, based on one of my novels. All of those things are actually the tools or the the scaffolding that has got me through all of the challenges that I've experienced. So it's it's more the other way around. It's it's actually essential for getting through those things. You mentioned several different ways of being creative. So let's say you were working on a particular project and then something parallel to you bl- blows up. Do you, what do you do with that particular project? What if it feels very triggering? Well, we had that Audrey Thomas and I who co-wrote a non-fiction book about productivity had this happen because the week that that project was due to be sent back and without edit to the publisher was the week that my husband died. And so did I feel like doing editing on a book? No, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't possible. And thankfully they gave us a little extension. But we at the time looked at what we'd written and had a bit of a re-evaluation and we wanted to check in with what we put into this book because it's all about what we do with our time and just make sure that we still believed what we'd written for a start and thankfully we found that we we actually were committed to it even more because of what had happened but that was extremely difficult because it wasn't in the mood well it wasn't in the mood to do anything at the time it was in deep shock and grief but I think it's probably your advice that sticks with me which is just to gravitate towards the thing that you feel like doing at any time and you've said that at numerous times whether or not it's connected with with you know something big going on in life or not just just creatively you've given us that advice over the years that we should move towards the story that's pulling us towards it and the characters that we want to write about and I know we've all got multiple projects on the go and and that means sometimes that we are sort of dropping one and going to another but I think it's important I think it makes a difference if you've got a contract for something and you have an expectation of delivery and, and then you've got this big life event that's thrown at you from left field that's really tricky but if you're in a position where you don't have that time pressure then it's all about looking after yourself and going towards the thing that's going to add something to your life, distract you from a while, take you away from something for a little while, you know, that going towards the healthiest option. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The healthiest option. What about you? Because you're like, when you talk about that, that's almost identical to what happened to me in, in that notion of I was in that care of carer's role for my sister and when I got the contract and we didn't really know how long that process would last how long her life would be because she'd already exceeded medical expectation quite dramatically and so I was very hopeful that she would 
keep doing that. So it was pretty freaky when she went downhill really suddenly, just as the structural edits came in for the book. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. And you were the person that I went to and you said, just do the best you can. Just, you know, dive in and use it as an escape. And it, it was very much that. So, you know, I was going and sitting by her bedside an hour at a time and then coming home and writing. And it really did feel like I was disappearing into another world that I could escape the tragedy of what I was going through. And so that was really like that kind of cauldron pressure I think was really useful and I think it really in a sense helped me get over my nerves about doing my first structural edit it was almost you know pushing me through that process and I found it really interesting coming out the other side after she had passed away and you know the structural edits were done the book came out and then I had to start writing the second book and I didn't have that same pressure because I didn't have a contracted delivery date. So I had quite a different perspective then when I was sort of drifting and I and I didn't have anything that I had to definitely do. And I found that really discombobulating. So I was yeah. I was actually struggling more to hold on to the creative light when there were all of the options and I was still working through the grief. So it was really it was a really slow process coming back and so much of the pressure for me is or so much of the um, blockage for me was around expectations and connecting too much, I think, with expectations of what the second book would be, expectations of whether I would get another contract, whether like all of those questions kind of built a little wall between me and my creativity for a while. And I felt quite isolated from it. And getting back to that place of a clear and pure story that I felt a strong connection to actually happened when I went to the Bad Crime Writers Festival and let go of everything, just let go of all of the expectations and went, if this is the final piece of the of the publishing process for me that I've had this amazing opportunity to talk to this amazing person about their book in a in a public forum and have my book highlighted in that forum. That's really exciting. And if nothing else ever happened, I could still die pretty happy. You know, I would I would still be the happiest that I can imagine. So somehow, and just being surrounded by all of those creative people talking about their project liberated me. And I came home and I found that first thread of a voice and just sort of diving into that creative space of story and loving it. So I think it is really interesting how different, yeah, different kinds of pressure push you towards and away from your creativity, but it's always so much easier. <laughs> Once you connect with that creativity again, you're right. That is the place where we escape. And that's, really, where we that's just really interesting. I was thinking, I've got a follow-up question, but I'm really keen to hear what Rach has to say, especially for that second part of what you shared, which is when there are no experts, you don't have a contract yet for the work. How does that open-endedness help or hinder? And look, obviously, I know I have a little bit of insight into what Rachel's process was, but I would love <laughs> to hear what you experienced with that. When things outside are exploding and you've got this creative something, how did you handle that? Well, I, th I think, I mean, I have to agree with both Em and Nina that creativity is the life raft, I guess, that buoys you through everything. It's it's the reverse. It's like, it's not like you have to struggle to find your creativity. It's like if, if without that to hang on to, you possibly wouldn't make it through the difficult challenges or the trauma or the the loss or you know whatever it is you're going through and so like you just said I, I haven't had the experience of having a, a, a contract or deadline for a book to drive me through that but I think the example that I think you're thinking of when my marriage was falling apart in the year leading up to 
were actually splitting when everything was falling apart and, and there was some other trauma in the family. There was some, uh, my husband's father died. We had a traumatic experience with my dog. There, there was other family stuff going on. Then everything was just breaking down. And somehow I, I just, I, I used the novel I was working on as a complete escape. I would literally get home from teaching every day and I would be in my bedroom, literally on my laptop, just hour after hour after hour. And I just buried myself in the writing of this book. And it's interesting to note that I, I have no idea how I managed to write such a funny, sexy rom-com. Right. While <laughs> the opposite was happening in my life. But yeah, so it, it, it purely was an absolute escape. And then the year after my marriage ended, the book was finished. And, but again, creativity was the, was one of the things that got me through. I mean, I, I physical activity, I, I ran, I started running and running and running and running, but my brain was constantly ticking and ticking. And, and I found that writing, I did a lot of almost kind of memoir style writing, just writing through my grief and, and my, and my loss and my anger and all, all of that. And it was mostly short pieces and I haven't really done much with any of it, but it's some of the most beautiful writing I think I've ever done. And I don't, think I would have been able to get through that period without being able to do that and express myself on the page. So yeah, I, I don't think I've had to have a deadline to work to. And, and then going back to M talking about her photography, when I had just started feeling like my life was back on track, COVID hit mm. and we were all in lockdown. And then through that time, I rediscovered my music. So I, I sing and I record and I spent that whole year learning to play guitar and, and recording songs. And so creativity was always that outlet. I, I don't think I would survive without it. I love that. I think too, and this is where I'll come back to you, Nina. The thing that I wanted to tease out from all of you to share with other writers, whether they're multi-published or still emerging, is the singular fear, like what if it's gone away, right? Mm. But what you've ex <clears throat> expressed is number one, if you have an external deadline and look, there, there are four tendencies, you know, that's my belief <laughs> by what Gretchen Rubin says. So if you're a rebel or maybe a questioner, maybe that deadline thing would feel less propulsive and more like, no, I'm not going to do it. However, for lots of us, having an external deadline or expectation can really work to get us to show up even in the midst of doubt. Right, Nina, you'd express mm -hmm. that. Um, you said you <clears throat> had as well, and it was nice because you had a co-author to bounce things off of. So everything wasn't locked in your brain, which can often be some of our downfall or our moments of downfall. But still that feeling of maybe it's not good, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you had the external deadline. You could maybe get a little extension, but you gave yourself some grace and you kept showing up because of that. And then you, Nina, were talking about a time where you had a lot of space. And this is what I hear from some other writers who that's when the, the internal editor really gets them and starts to say things like, maybe it was a flute, you know, all that writing you did before, or yeah, you've lost it. You don't have it because you feel the external, even if it's a fan saying, I love what you did, that expectation, right? Commingling <laughs> with this internal tumult that is from real emotion right? The loss of your sister, or maybe 
somebody has gone through, even though birth is supposedly positive, that's traumatic for the body or some other physical something, but your writerly expectations, your expectation of your creativity is, well, now I should be able to just <laughs> to show up. <laughs> so we want it to be that lighthouse. But what if it feels like maybe it's a lighthouse, but you're way out to sea mm. and it's a bit foggy and you don't know where you're landing because there's no deadlines. There's no external expectation, but maybe a little bit of not a precise expectation, but a general like we love the character. Do that one again, which can feel nice, but also pressure. It is. It's that um, that locus of control because because writing is such a personal journey, I think, for all of us and such a personal expression having the book go out into the world and it being my first it was almost intoxicating I read a few reviews at the beginning and some of them were really really lovely they were just so beautiful like I didn't have that experience of coming across bad reviews I think I got out before any of those landed if there are any I'm not sure but the weight of expectation of other people loving the book was very different and so it sort of felt like the person that I please when I'm writing is me I I'm all about making characters and things happen that I like and Mm -hmm. I talk about you know there's one point in the book when I got bored and I just made I went what's the most dramatic thing I could have happen right now I think I'm just gonna crash a car because I just can't it's like I'm bored and those kinds of decisions that you make that are really light-hearted and light when you're working through a book because it's fun they start to take on this weight because you've moved the place where you get your reinforcement outside of yourself Mm. to these readers you've said I've given something to people and they're telling me that it's precious and that they've really enjoyed it and that they're looking forward to seeing what comes next and the weight of that expectation is positive you know hugely positive but it also it gets between you and your personal relationship with the next piece of work that you do so it took me a while to work out that I just had to say I'm really sorry everybody I I can't deliver this book for you I actually I have to write it just for me and I have to close the door as Stephen King says and just this has to just be for me Mm. and I have to love it and already it's going in different directions and I'm going oh what's in there and oh that's a bit interesting and oh I don't know if I like that or not oh but you know I see where it goes and that playful lightness creativity I think is is hard to sustain when the world is heavy you have to close the door you have to create you know like Virginia Woolf talked about a room of your own you have to create a space in which there is just you and the story that you're telling yourself. And that's hard. Ultimately, really, really fun when you get there. I think that that's when Em briefly mentioned it a, a little bit earlier. It's when it comes back to what Ange has said to all of us about gravitate towards the thing that feels the best. And I think it's about finding just connecting with whatever it is that's bringing you joy, even if you're feeling all at sea and you're not sure what you're supposed to be working on. And I'm a terrible procrastinator. I I have a hundred projects and if one (laughs) feels hard, I immediately look at another one or another one. And so I, I, if I'm, if I'm not, I am very deadline driven. So if I don't have deadlines, I can procrastinate a lot and kind of float between projects. And I've had this conversation with Ange a number of times and, and she's always said, gravitate towards the one that feels the best, the one that is calling you. And I think it's about finding the one, whatever it is that is bringing you joy or makes you feel good or makes you laugh or is light or makes you feel squishy in the belly. I mean, with the scoop, the the novel that I was talking about before, and this is probably going to sound silly, but I have a thing about Outlander. I love Outlander. I love Sam Hewen. And basically the entirety of that book, the whole premise was because I wanted to write this character. He's a rock star. 
that basically the entire time I just had Sam Hewen in my head, purely so I can hopefully make it into a movie one day and get him cast and have him on set wearing leather pants and I might actually be able to meet him. And so, so this whole time I was writing this book, I was just picturing it was the first time I'd ever used a vision board or actually chosen pictures for my characters. And Amelia Clark was my protagonist and then it was Sam Hewen. And, and it was so fun because I literally, yeah, it, it was it was a very lighthearted way to approach Approach it, but I think that's what got me through, you know. So it is yes. about just that reconnection to whatever is bringing you joy. I just yeah. have to stop for a second and say that is so trippy because when I read the scoop, Amelia Clark was the person in my head. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but Amelia Clark definitely. But oh my god, that's so bizarre. Yes. I love it. And I would just say too, fun. Of course, the three of you know this, that I, when I say fun, it can take on many meanings. Mm -hmm. And we've had other podcasts where the fun is actually the dark thing. It made me think of what you just said too, Nina. Sometimes causing a car crash (laughs) in your story (laughs) could be the fun. Or another author had talked about taking a normal or an average person and putting them in an extraordinary circumstance to see what they would do. Whatever Mm -hmm. feels like your or escape like the fun, but I love how each of you have funneled it back down to pleasing yourself in the first place. Mm. Because if you're bored, Nina, you do need to cause a car crash or have something else happen because the reader will be bored if you're bored or regardless of who you're, <laughs> who you're fanficking. Although <laughs> I, I see those roles and I was like, yes, please let's do it. I want to see that happen. Using what you need to give you that joy to help fan that flame of creativity. Something and- else that I that I noticed too, along a little sort of bit of an aside, but similar, is that I have sort of found peace with the fact that I'm a binge writer. So rather than sit there and think, why am I not writing? I should be writing. I just have, have given up on that. And I have faith that when I want to tell a story, it comes and it just all flows out and it will all happen because that's what's happened before. And just being able to give up on that expectation of, particularly if you haven't got a contract for something, just being able to say, one day I'm just going to sit down and over the course of a few weeks, everything's going to pour out and then I'll have Mm. a first draft. Mm. That is just such a freeing way for me to now think about it. Mm. And the other thing too is that I have latched onto all these other types of creativity that often seem to precede that pouring out of a book. So the photography is one example, but I also went through a mad phase of drawing and I'm not a good drawer, but I went through a phase of it and art and going to classes and following little YouTube videos on how to do watercolor painting and all this sort of stuff. And I think if you do feel pressure that, you know, I've lost it, I can't remember how to write. Sometimes you find your way back in through other creative yeah. avenues. Mm. And it's, I think, just loosening it all up and mm-hmm. letting go of that attachment to having to produce a, a certain book or a, any certain type of creativity yeah that's great and well we talked about this before too it's that attachment thing so we're bringing Mm. that zen in but I think all of us no matter your experience is reminding yourself of the why of it and Nina you said something that is something I say all the time and I often apologize for it because I know it sounds really dark but I really relate it to maybe it's because of anxiety I experience I just think (laughs) if I die like the little prayer, if I die before I wake, if I die, 
I want to make sure that whatever I was spending my time on or prioritizing, whether it was in the, but especially not whether, but especially in those private moments that I feel good about it. Mm. Right. Because we don't control that. So making sure that we're saying, I feel like I'm moving forward to your point. M. Lots of people might actually be saying, and I've run into writers like this, they're waiting for the download uh, before they share. And that can be a self-sabotage mm. for some people. However, it's all about being real with yourself. And so mm. for you, it was a really big aha and a massive jump forward to release yourself from that idea that the advice can be right every day, even if it's crap. Well, look, here's the truth. You do write every day, mm. <laughs> just not always in a novel. However, and I've also seen the results of when it pours out of you, mm. it pours out. There's no when it, Yeah. And when it does pour out, I am writing every day. I'm doing all those things that you are supposed to do, I guess, you know, but I'm just doing it in a focused thing. I think it's more about recognizing that there are these peaks and troughs and that's okay. If I found that I wasn't writing for several years or several months and that I might need to say, okay, maybe this binge writing thing is not actually actually working for you anymore. So, you know, sit down and do some writing. But the thing is, if I did sit down now and start writing a novel, I think the binge approach would just follow because you've just got to get started on something mm. and write that mm. bad opening to a novel and then push through that and keep going. And I think we observed actually recently when Rach was writing her novel Disgraceful and sending it through and I was reading chapter by chapter, it was like my little bedtime ritual. <laughs> and we were saying, you can see when you're following somebody's writing when they hit their groove it's incredible mm. and you can't hit the groove if you're just sitting there doing nothing so you've yeah. got to be moving but it, it's it was very purposeful I mean you had a structure around it the reason you were able to give yourself permission to go there and write through the bad words when I say bad words write through the shit to get to the gold is what I would say but you had to set up that structure because lots of us and this again is one thing for all writers to recognize how have you structured your life or not structured it to allow your yourself those moments where you can focus on the thing. So mm. you had it structured so you could get through it and really reach your groove. Otherwise it was all in your head. I mean, Rach, you are prolific. So I would never have a doubt that it would come out once you were able to fully surrender to it. And that's what we saw. But for those who aren't as practiced, maybe fear more the, wait a minute, I've lost it. It isn't it's there. A, it, it's a juggle though, because when I was working on Disgraceful, I mean, I had this novel mapped out. It's a been working on the TV show version of it for a year and a half now. But it, what, I'm juggling a day job. I mean, I'm lucky I, I don't have kids at home at the moment. I don't have a partner. I'm, I'm fairly flexible, but I have a lot on juggling multiple projects and I work full time. So it took me being able to go away to Varuna for two weeks to actually have that space to really just let myself fall into that novel and actually get finally get to the page. It's all been in my head and in planning documents and mapping out the TV show and development workshops. So yeah, I mean, I, I I still have to find those moments to be able to do that. I mean, I, I sometimes find when I get home in the evening, I want to be able to write, but I'm so brain fried from my my day job, and it's it's hard to get to the page. So yeah, it's it's That's, a definite juggle. I, and I remember conversations with you like that before too, where there were long, not just the jumping from project to project, which by the way, I always recommend you have more than one. It's not about being too scattered to finish one, but about giving 
giving you permission mm. to follow that joy because that's that path of least resistance. You know, it was making me think of you too. And I've had these conversations with writers before about taking yourself away for a writer's retreat. You don't have to pay someone else. I mean, you can, but I would also argue there might be lots of writer's retreats where they're trying to justify their paying. So they've got you scheduled to do stuff. <laughs> if you, I want you to go on a writer's retreat, even if it's for a weekend where you book a place, you're not going to have to attend to anyone else's needs. And as women, this is a generalization, but I've just seen it happen time and time again. Even if they are self-sufficient beings, we still feel our energy pulled away. Mm -hmm. And so that's why retreating, whether it's for Veruna or you take yourself off for a weekend, even in the same town you live in somewhere, obviously, again, I'm always going to go for fun or or pleasure, but taking yourself away so you can just relax into it. And if you do that and the writing still doesn't come, I would be chatting to somebody about what did happen while you were there, because maybe that was something you needed. Mm -hmm. Maybe you weren't away long enough and you needed a couple of days of just laying there. But what do you think about that? I mean, again, Rach says no, you know, uh, no children to have to attend to, no partner to have to attend to at the moment, but then full-time job. Do you think that sort of thing would work for you? Have you ever tried that before, by the way, a retreat? I haven't because my life is very unstructured in lots of ways. And I think when I heard you say that, Rach, the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, yes. I remember when I was working and I did that thing. I took five weeks off and wrote my first novel and then began the joy of rewriting it. Like there is something when you have those kinds of pressures of time and you're the same, got lots of work that you have to do to keep money coming in. So you actually have that kind of pressure that makes those times when you can write really precious. Whereas all the times are times that I can write, but there are also times that I can do washing or clean the house or make a cup of tea and sit on the couch with the dog for a really long period of time, <laughs> you know, reading a book. So yeah, it, it can be, I think writers dream of the days when they don't have have to do anything else but write but I can tell you from experience that in fact what happens when that happens is you have to either be a very disciplined person mm. or you have to learn what the triggers are for you so if I went away to a place I would probably spend a lot of time walking on the beach and doing things like that I would probably or sitting around worrying about whether this was the right thing to write whereas what I look for is more the making a time when I'm ready to sit down and an idea comes to me so a sort of free form for a while and I play with words while I, I make myself sit down for an hour a day and play around with words and then the other day driving home from walking the dog with my partner and having a coffee in the car and all of a sudden this line comes to me and and that's often how it is for me. The first line of a book is often a thread that I can then pull on and uncover the story, sort of tugging it out of the rich and fertile ground. And that was the beginning of the book that I'm writing now. And it's going to strange and unusual places, which is what makes me know that it's actually the book I'm meant to be writing. Because mm, I, can I love feel, that. Yeah, I can feel that what was a really thin fibre becoming quite a thick story and feeling really attached to it in a very light and surrendery kind of way. Yeah. So for me, I've worked out that it's... It is more about finding the place in my head where the story starts and then following it. Oh mm -hmm. God, I love that. And watching mm -hmm. that, I just have a very visual, like unraveling mm -hmm. this jumper with this beautiful thread. It's a very organic thing. Something you mentioned is something that a lot of people struggle with too. I have so much time and then they fill it with all the other things. And I totally raise my hand. I do that too.
too. So again, just like with Anne and what you'd said before about recognizing that you're a bit of a binge writer, it's not about judging so much as looking back in the past Mm. and recognizing. I mean, I had this whole thing in a five-day challenge about looking back and seeing where did you experience that flow before? Where did it feel really good? And maybe that's the place. And again, it's all an experiment Mm. because what worked before may not work now, whether it's the time of life that you're in or the way that it's structured around you, but rather than judging it, playing with it. And if Mm. you play with it and play with it and play with it, and it's still not working, that's the time, like you said, um, (laughs) you know, if I've gone that long and it's still not working, then maybe I'll have to say, Hey, that's not how it works for me anymore. And giving that away rather than thinking or staying stuck on the thought that, yeah, maybe I was fooling myself Mm. and this writing caper isn't for me after all. And maybe I should give it, give it a miss or all my creativity is gone, Mm. which I think each of you have proved it's not. Yeah. And I think too, the other thing is national novel writing month was a a bit of an education in this ability to just blurt it all out. And and that is when you, most people who do that are working full time. They've got families, kids, all this stuff going on. And it sort of is the experience that proved to me that I'd actually don't need to go away for a retreat to get a book written. And I haven't tried a retreat, but I do worry that I'll end up doing the things that Nina's doing, probably meet Nina on the beach and, you know, have a lovely time. But <laughs> Although that can be great. I was thinking, Nina, I, I read a, a line and it's totally related to walking along the beach. So I have to say, mm-hmm. sometimes the things that we end up doing, and that's why I say looking, or if I were talking to somebody who said I went on retreat and this is what I did instead of writing, I would want to tease out what did you do and find mm-hmm. out was that actually a quote unquote waste of time or was it actually directly related to where their creativity, their curiosity and their story was going to go. Well, on that, when I was at Varuna, there was a whole day where like the day before I literally just skinned myself alive onto the page and it was so (laughs) traumatic that I literally had nothing left the next day. And I literally lay on the floor on my yoga mat listening to meditation music for six hours, just letting my brain wander and just kind of filling myself back up again. And that was totally not a waste. I, I don't think I could have gone back to the page if I hadn't done that. So I think that walking on the beach, or if you go on retreat and all you do is think about stuff, yes. thinking is thinking is still writing. Like mm-hmm. that's still writing. So yeah, I don't think I, I don't about, think it's ever wasted. It isn't. And that's how I feel about driving anywhere. So because I remember getting one idea for a novel driving to Sydney. And then I sort of had the expectation that for every time I go to Sydney, I'm going to get an idea from home. And I can't wait to get in that car because it'll come to me. And, I, and it's sort of, and then, you know, driving to the coast, going camping, all these things. It's that's where a lot of the ideas do come. I think mm. it's being anywhere, but where, yeah, like if, if it's not working. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like mm. at the desk. Your car. Yes. But that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've heard, I remember doing a course on creativity when I was at work and they talked about that notion of, I think back in the 80s, they used to call it alpha wave state and you know they, they've always got some kind of word to name it but that that state of creative flow that we get into that we all know when we're in it but we're not quite sure how to get back to it something mm. I remember hearing an interview with another writer who writes very clean copy very clean copy and was talking to another writer who's a neuropsychologist who said oh oh, okay, that's probably because you're in such and such a state when you write, like your connection between your creative brain and, you know, your subconscious, your conscious is so clear, the channel is so clear that you don't interfere at all. Like you don't let your conscious brain come in and start interfering and changing things up. Mm. 
And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because that's certainly when I listen to you both describe the way that you write, it is that sense of it just pours out of you when it pours out of you and you just let it all fall onto the page. And certainly for me, that's, I'm getting into that state. I get into it more slowly. So I'll do a a couple of hundred words, although I've, I've been impressed. I've actually been doing more like 500 words a day at the beginning as I sort of tease this story out. But it's very much, I just, the stuff that you've taught us, Ange, about when your conscious brain comes up, just write a note on the side or I have now got a book that I just write notes in because I just don't want to be diverted. I want to stay Mm. in that relationship with that channel Mm -hmm. and don't question why it's doing things, just let it do them. And I think that's a much, yeah, I think that's the state that we're looking for. We're all trying to find our way to that flow state. And And that's for our first draft, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, Rachel. I I think it's important to sort of distinguish between pouring out a story in first draft and then working on that story, which is a very different kettle of fish that is an entirely different type of creativity and and you don't necessarily need the same state at those yeah. later editing phases. Yeah, yeah I was going to go back and say those two things don't mm. fit together. Mm. I was going to say, I think it's also about, I think we have to forgive ourselves for finding it hard. I think there's this perception yeah. that the more experienced you get or the more books you have or the more you've done or the more scripts you've had produced or, or whatever, that it somehow becomes easier, like you should know how to do this by now. But I I think I've talked about Meg LaFauve before. She's the screenwriter who wrote Inside Out, the animated film, and she's amazing. So her her podcast is wonderful with Lauren McKenna. And she was saying just the other day that it doesn't matter how experienced you get, you start a new project or even when you're in the middle of a project, you sit and look at the page and you suddenly, she said she thought she got to the point with this particular story where she just had this thought, what are words? What is? (laughs) what what even is a story what like what is a film I don't even know what a film is like how do I I think I've forgotten how to do this and she like she is um, incredible but I think every creative finds that that you 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 have this moment where you just think I have no freaking clue what I'm doing the first one was a fluke the 10th one was a fluke this one is just going to be terrible I should just give up Mm, yeah that it's that it is hard that writing the process of writing even when we're really good at it and we love it is hard I sometimes say that writing is the thing that I really, really love to do, but I really hate doing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I hate sitting down to do it. It's the people that think it's really easy and they're going to be outliers, right? Mm. They're going to be the super clean, always first draft and it's clean and it's good and okay. But we're probably not focusing on them. <laughs> we're focusing <laughs> on the rest of us who feel compelled to share using word and struggle with our confidence around our ability to do it. And it will happen again and again. So you're right, Rach. If there's one lesson we could maybe share with everyone, it is. And I say this all the time, give yourself grace. Just go back and give it again. And if you need me to remind you, I will. Which is why I never run out of that energy to tell a creative person that they they should keep showing up. Nobody can guarantee you what the outcome will be. Mm. But a writer is somebody who would, if they could choose something else, they probably would, but they can't. Maybe they've tried, but at least at whatever time you are probably listening to this podcast or you're attempting to write something new and you're feeling really clunky and uncomfortable with it and you're doubting, 
this is, you were compelled to do it for a reason. So just keep following that as long as you can, even through that discomfort. And like we always say, finding yourself a community of writers, which is part of the reason for this podcast for, for you, no matter where you are in the world, to feel like you have that community. You've got these friends who are also writers having the same doubts or some wins, even though they thought they weren't going to have them. But finding community where you feel like you're not so alone because it isn't a totally individual process. It's really important to feel like you are part of this whole. And every writer I know struggles, which is why we were talking about that creativity piece today. Thank you guys so much. As I'm always so grateful for you showing up and having these chats and we will inevitably be back with more conversations and writers talking soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.